uh, one of the things we try and do week by week is um, uh, preach books of the Bible. On, on the whole, our pattern here at Christchurch is to, is to take a book of the Bible and move through it. We've just finished the book of Philippians, and we're coming this morning to the, to the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew is a series we started three years ago, I think, and we've been doing it in chunks ever since. So this uh, morning we're looking at Matthew 16, and we're actually just going to read the first 12 verses. Matthew 16, verses 1 to 12. Uh, Again, we're jumping in to the middle of a passage. It's worth knowing that um, what's just happened, just before, and that is, you can see even just in the title that the ESV editors put in, Jesus has just fed 4,000 people. And these are 4,000 Gentiles, 4,000 non-Jewish folk, in other words. Uh, he's been given just seven loaves and a few fish, and he's provided a banquet for them. It's actually the second time he's done something like that. Uh, just a chapter or so earlier, he's fed 5,000 people, Jewish people this time, uh, with five loaves. So these miraculous feedings have happened in the sight of thousands of people. Okay, it's really important we, we know that for the, for the context uh, of what we're about to jump into. So Matthew 16, verse 1, let's hear what the Spirit says to his church this morning. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to, and to test Jesus. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it's evening, you say it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it'll be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they'd forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's pray once more before we look at this passage together. Our Father, we praise you that you are a God who speaks, uh, a God who has uh, opened our eyes that we might see wonderful things. And so we pray uh, that Lord Jesus would be kind to us now and through his spirit, feed us and show us good things in his word. We ask uh, this for his glory's sake and in his name. Amen. Uh, If I was to ask you uh, at the moment um, how you're doing spiritually, what your spiritual temperature is. I wonder what you might say. Uh, I expect for mo- many of us at the moment, we're, we're, not, we're not on an all-time high. It's hard at the moment, isn't it, uh, to, to, to really give yourself to, to following Christ. Uh, eight months or so of lockdown, of no services, of not being able to sing, of not being able to gather very well, has an effect. But, but even if you were to take yourself back before lockdown, if you can remember such a thing, back before coronavirus, back when it all seemed to be, be well with the world, and you would do a kind of a, a spiritual health check, take a, take a spiritual thermometer, as it were, how would you reflect on your, your walk with Christ? 
Would you look at yourself and say, look, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly committed, I'm giving myself fully to the work of the Lord. Or, or would you feel, well, actually, I'm holding back somewhat. Uh, yes, I believe. I know Jesus died for my sins. But if I'm absolutely honest with myself, I, I know I'm not giving myself as I should. Now, in some ways, that's an unfair question, isn't it? Yeah, any preacher can stand to begin any sermon like that. It is always the case that we could do more, try harder. So this is not meant to be some sort of huge guilt trip. But, but, uh, many of us, if we're honest, find that, that we are somewhat holding ourselves back from really giving ourselves to Christ. And I think our passage this morning uh, helps uh, give two problems, if you like, two, two diseases we might suffer from. Diagnoses two problems. Uh, and if we can see the problem, therefore we can see the solution too, uh, and perhaps ignite our hearts uh, more fervently to follow him. Uh, the first problem that Jesus presents us with this morning is that we may have our eyes tight shut. Okay, that's the first problem, our eyes tight shut. This is verses 1 to 4 in our, in our passage. Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to test Jesus. It's not, it's not a genuine question, it's not an earnest seeker, Lord, Lord I, I really want to believe but I'm, I'm just struggling, can you give me some sort of help? No, they're coming to test him. It's the same word as tempt um, sort of underneath. It's a, it's a trial. Okay? They are putting Jesus on trial. So imagine the Pharisees are in the judge's robes, you know, the wig in the courtroom, and they're saying to Jesus, look, you're in the dock. You're claiming to be God's son. Prove it. Give us a sign from heaven. That's a pretty extraordinary thing to say, isn't it? If you realise what's just happened in Matthew's Gospel. He has just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves. He's just fed 5,000 people with five loaves. For that matter, he's just walked on water. He just healed the sick. Earlier on, he's raised the dead. And they come and say, well, it's not enough, Jesus. Give me more. I need more evidence. Give me a sign from heaven. Now, I don't know exactly what they want. They're not clear exactly what a sign from heaven might mean. It may mean they want a sign literally from the heavens. Send an angel to confirm it, something down from above. It may mean they want to see something in the heavens. Remember some of the Old Testament stories where, where spectacular things happen in the sky. Yeah, the sun stands still for a while or whatever it may be. E- either way, whatever it is, they are testing him and saying, no, you need to do more to prove to us who you are. We're in charge, we're the judge, you're in the dock. In other words, for the Pharisees, they say to Jesus, well, I'll believe when, dot, dot, dot. I'll believe when you dance to my tune, perform the tricks that I demand. And that's when the gap between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and us begins to close a little, isn't it? Uh, perhaps you're someone who's, who's unsure about the Christian faith. Uh, you come along this morning and you're not quite sure whether you believe what some of these other people in the, the room believe. Okay, as ever, the first thing to say is welcome and thank you for, thank you for coming. Okay, we hope that every week we have people among us who, frankly, wouldn't call themselves Christians. Okay, you've got questions. We hope you feel at home. But let me ask you generally, are you setting the wrong tests for, for God, for Christ? Saying to him, look, I'll believe in you if you, and then you're filling in the blank. I'll believe in you if you end suffering in the world. 
I believe you if you bring peace to all the wars. I believe in you if you cure cancer. I believe in you if you heal my sister. I believe in you if... Very often that's what we do as human beings. We come and we demand more evidence. I believe in you if, God, you, you do put a sign in the sky. Come on, all these Christian friends are telling me that you, know, you made the world and that you walked on water and you died on the cross and you rose again. All these spectacular things. But they all seem to happen 2,000 years ago. Show me now. I believe if you do something spectacular, something in the sky. They send all these angels I keep reading about in the Bible. We sing about it at Christmas. You show me, then I believe. If we're saying that, what we're essentially saying to God is, or to Christ, is you've, done, you've not done enough to prove yourself yet. The problem, the reason I don't believe, well, is because there's not enough evidence. You've not proven yourself to me yet. But look how Jesus responds. Jesus, of course, is able to do a sign. Okay? If, if he's God, I mean, he could make something happen in the sky. He could do another miracle. If he would, in fact, do other miracles later in the Gospels. He could pass the Pharisees' test, but he refuses it. We're going to come back to the, the red sky at night thing in a minute. But, but look down at verse 4. What does Jesus think the problem is with these people? Is the problem that causes their, you know, their unbelief a lack of evidence? No. Verse 4. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Jesus is pretty blunt with these people. He looks at them and says, that's not the problem. The problem is not the lack of evidence. The reason you're not following me, the reason you won't accept me, is that you're evil and adulterous. Evil. Your hearts are darkened. You don't want to know. It's not an intellectual problem. It's certainly not a problem of neutral evidence out there isn't good enough. No. It's the problem of the human heart and mind. They are clouded by sin. We don't want to know because we've got our eyes shut. We just don't want to see. Or adulterous. He doesn't mean literally. These people are not cheating on their wives, as far as we know. But he means spiritually adulterous. But this generation, it says Jesus, he looks at those around him. Of God's people. Remember, these are God's people. He's not, he's not in, I don't know, Egypt or something, where they've heard nothing about God. He's with God's people who have God's word, have the synagogues, the, the temple, the sacrifices. It's all there. This generation of my people are adulterous, i.e. their hearts have gone after other gods. They're far more interested in other things than me. Or to put it most simply, they just don't want it to be true. You don't want me to be your Lord, Jesus is saying to them. You don't want your nice, cosy, Pharisee club, Sadducee club to be interrupted by God butting in and being in charge. We're not, in other words, neutral investigators. Uh, perhaps you've got friends you long to become Christians, family members you long to become Christians. If they're not believing, then, then from Jesus' words here, the, the problem is not a lack of evidence. I should say, it's not that there isn't evidence. The Christian faith is not irrational. It's not close your eyes and leap, like some sort of leap in the dark. No, there's lots of good arguments. There's lots of good evidence, things like the resurrection and all sorts. But ultimately, ultimately, it's not that if you could just put enough evidence in someone, they will definitely believe. If that was the case, then it, the whole problem would have been solved ages ago, wouldn't, wouldn't it? It was just a sort of intellectual quest. Now, the problem is moral and spiritual. We don't want God butting in to our lives. We fear what will happen if it's really true. And even as Christians, those of you who say, no, I, I'm a, I believe, I'm a follower of Christ. That might it be that but you're sort of saying the same thing. I'll really commit when you do this, Jesus. 
dot dot dot. I'll really throw myself into the Christian life and mission when, well, when I have a kind of experience that, that, that makes me more full of joy and love. Then I'll give myself to God wholeheartedly. I'll really give myself to, to wholehearted discipleship when, well, when God makes himself clearer to me or when I have better examples or, or when church is more inspiring or when the preaching is better or when the prayer meeting is, is, is just more exciting or when, whatever it might be. In other words, are we essentially saying, you've not done enough yet, God, for me to really commit? So I don't mind putting one foot in the boat. I'll attach myself to Christ, yes, I believe. But I'm not going to take some of the more edgy thing he says. I'm not going to let it affect my life too much. I'm still going to keep fairly safe. What are you waiting for? More evidence? Some sort of experience? Jesus says no sign will be given to that generation except the sign of Jonah. What's he talking about? He's actually explained it. He used the same phrase a couple of chapters earlier. Jonah, of course, is the great prophet in the Old Testament uh, who was sent to go and preach to the, to, um, the Assyrians, to the Ninevites. Uh, and you know the story, the sort of famous Bible story. Off he goes on the journey, eventually gets overboard in the ship, and he's swallowed by a, a great fish three days and three nights in the belly of the whale until he's spat out onto land and begins preaching again. Well, Jesus says the sign of Jonah will happen in this generation too. And he's talking about his death and resurrection. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights, Jesus will be in the belly of the earth three days, three nights. In other words, if you want a sign, that the real sign will be that I'm going to die and rise again. And then the gospel is going to be preached to the Gentiles. That'll, that'll show you, okay, as the Gentiles come to faith as well after that, that'll show you that I really am who I say I am. Now, we, of course, aren't part of that generation. We are, how many generations later? hundred generations later. And so the question for us is even more acute. What more could God do to persuade us to wholeheartedly follow Christ? What more could Jesus do? He's come to earth. He's taken on flesh. He's died for us. He's risen again. He's sent the gospel to the ends of the earth. We've seen millions upon millions of people converted. He's a far greater Jonah and yet still we hold back. We can be total experts on other things, can't we? I think that's what's going on in verses 3 and 4. Uh, 2 and 3, sorry. Jesus says, look, you, you're able to say, and then it's, it's the proverb, isn't it? Red sky at night, shepherd's delight, red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. Okay, you know how to forecast the weather. You're experts at meteorology. And yet you can't see that the Son of God is in front of you. Isn't that true for us too? We can be world experts at cooking or DIY uh, or computers or history or maths or medicine or whatever it is. And actually, we, we can barely un- see the fact that, that God has given his son for us. And the Bible remains a largely closed book to us. We can be so smart on some things. Uh, we can learn so much about some things. And of course, that, that in itself is fine. It's not wrong to be brilliant at computers or really into cooking or whatever it might be. But the problem comes where we've invested all our mind, all our skill, all our efforts into understanding this area over here. And we've, we've never really given ourselves in depth to learning about Christ, to understanding who he is and what he's come to do. 
One commentator from this passage calls it moreism. Okay, I want more from you, God, before I give you anything back. Do more. Show more. Make me feel more. Reveal more. Do more. And heaven will remain silent. If, that, if that's what you're saying to God, do more before I... Well, Jesus says, look, no sign will be given apart from the, my death and resurrection. That has happened. The next thing that will happen from heaven is Christ's returning. Have you got your eyes tight shut? Do you see what he's done for you? If you want to see more, just pray, Lord, open my eyes. You give me your word. I've got so much more than even the Pharisees and Sadducees had. Lord, open my eyes and I see the wonderful things you've done. Give me faith in them. They're all there. The great news here is it's all there. It's not as if God is hidden and we've got to go on some spiritual quest to find him. We've got to be super spiritual people in order to understand. No, just ask. He has come down to reveal himself. He wants us to know him. And it's all in his word. The Bible is at the centre of the Christian life. Have you got your eyes tight shut? The first potential problem. The second one. If it's dangerous to have your eyes tight shut, it's also dangerous to have your ears wide open. Ears wide open. This is verses 5 through 12. At verse 5, the disciples get to the other side and they've forgotten lunch. Okay, so no bread. And Jesus starts to teach them. Uh, he warns them, watch out, beware the leaven, the yeast that you put in bread to make it rise. That the, least, the, the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they totally miss the point. This often happens, doesn't it? It's kind of encouraging. The disciples, very often, totally clueless. Um, and they start to, they, they think it's about lunch. Ah, no. He's warning us about, that we've only got, you know, we've got no food, we've got no bread. And he's warning us, don't take bread from the Pharisees and Sadducees. You know, why? You know, thinking it was bad bread or poison bread. You know, he's warning us about physical bread. And we're stuck, therefore, because we haven't got anything to eat. And so, verse 8, Jesus says, Look, you have little faith. He calls them little faiths, like a little noun. You little faiths. Why are you talking about bread? Is he, that, do you think that's a problem? You know, the fact that you've got, I don't know, what they've got in the boat, you know, one bread box. Do you think that's a problem? We've just fed 4,000 people. Okay? With seven loaves of bread. Do you, do you think feeding 12 of you is going to be an issue? Do you remember like last week when I fed 5,000 people? Five loaves? Okay, there's 12 of us. Well, were you in the boat and me? 13 people. Am I going to struggle? Look, that's not the problem. That's not the problem. You have little faith. Of course I can sort that one out. That's not the problem. That's not what I was talking about. Verse 11. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then, verse 12, they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's not the physical bread they get. The, the penny drops, the light goes on. No, no, the problem is the teaching of the Pharisees. That's what Jesus is warning about. Beware, disciples, what is going in your ears. That is what's going to destroy your faith. Not some weird bread or something. So what is, what is this warning about? And particularly for us. I imagine you've never met a Pharisee and you've never met a Sadducee. How is this relevant to us today? Well, Jesus must think it is because it's recorded in Scripture. Okay? This is not like Jesus saying, you know, you know, watch out around the next corner in Lake Galilee because there are some sort of you know, shallow rocks there. And it's just not relevant to us, is it? That's it. No, this is something that was worth preserving for the church. That, that lets us know that the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is still going to be around. Just they don't call themselves Pharisees and Sadducees anymore. So, so what is it? Where would you see it? Well, at first glance, it, it looks very different. The Pharisees and the Sadducees look very different. That the Pharisees were the, the super kind of conservative ones. 
Uh, they weren't priests or religious officials, they were often businessmen, but it was, like a, it was almost like a holy club, you might say. And they were very legalistic. They, they believed in God, they believed in that God was sovereign. And they believed in the Old Testament being the word of God. Everything we have, Genesis through to Malachi, although they arranged the books in a different order, but he says the word of God. We're orthodox in that sense. But they didn't believe the, the gospel that's contained in the Old Testament as well as the New. They didn't believe that we were saved by grace alone, that faith was the only right response. The empty hand of faith was the only right response to God. No, they, they believed God, if you like, was harsh. The taskmaster was saying to them, look, I, I will not bless you until you do this. And the Pharisees had these all sorts of rules. People have found all sorts of sort of documents where the Pharisees written out, not rules from the Bible, but sort of extra rules. In other words, to sort of update it in our day, the Pharisees were people who, who were like, who were gospel plus. Yes, of course you've got to believe in Jesus, but that's not enough. Do you think God will accept you just because you believe in him? No. That's the bare minimum. No, you believe Jesus died for you, sure, sure, sure. But more than that, you also need to be holy. You need to kill sin. You need to be at every prayer meeting. You need to be at church twice and every Sunday. Uh, you must repent properly and deeply and 100%. Your faith must not waver. You must believe 100%. In other words, Jesus, yes, but plus all this other stuff as well. Okay, that's a sort of Pharisee teaching. Gospel plus. Or the Sadducee. The Sadducee is the direct opposite, it seems. But they're the liberals. They didn't think much of the Old Testament was the word of God. Certainly not all the stuff like Isaiah, Jeremiah, all that. No, 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 that's not the word of God. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Okay, they were liberals. And again, they're still around. These are the Jesus minus, gospel minus people. You say, I, I believe Jesus died for our sins to save us. He's the, he's the hope of the world. And they say, oh, okay, that's, that's all right for you, but you don't have to. As long as you're spiritual, and you're, you're trying your best, as long as you believe in something greater than yourself, and try hard, it'll be fine. You don't have to believe in Jesus. That's arrogant to say you have to believe in Jesus. How dare you say there are certain rights and wrongs about how we use our bodies, says the Sadducees. Okay, love is love, says the Sadducee, in their dog collar. Whoever loves, is fine. If the Pharisees say Jesus isn't enough, the Sadducees say Jesus isn't necessary. He's okay, just not necessary. So they look very different. But the irony is they're actually the same underneath. You see verse 12, it's not beware the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as if they're totally separate, teaching, singular. Uh, they've come together here. And although they look very different, actually, they're the same. They're just different ways of getting rid of Jesus, different ways of getting rid of the gospel. So they look different, but when you look more carefully, you see that a Pharisee is just wearing a Sadducee's mask, or a Sadducee is just a Pharisee in a different mask. So you look at the Sadducees first, you say, oh, those are the people who lower the bar, who say it doesn't matter how you live. They've got a slack approach to holiness, whereas the Pharisees have got a really high approach to holiness. It's still wrong, but you know, they've got a high approach to holiness. But you look more carefully, what are the Pharisees doing? The Pharisees are all about externals. So they take a, 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 a law that was in place in God's word in their day, um, like you know, on the Sabbath. And they start adding all sorts of other things to it. They, they tell you how many steps you're allowed to do on the Sabbath. How much weight you're allowed to carry or not carry. What are they doing? 
they're, they're actually lowering the holiness bar. They're making obedience just about external stuff, what we do. But Jesus is concerned about the heart. Remember the passage we had earlier, Mark 7, it's out of the heart that evil comes. The two key commands of the Old Testament are love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. That's an incredibly high bar because it's an internal bar. The Pharisees actually are making it easier. That's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. We think, well, we could never do that. But actually the, the bar's low because if you make some external rules, you can pretty much keep them. Well, some people can. If we started making rules and saying, look, um, uh, you know, God says be generous. The way you obey that command is by giving £73 every week. Some people will just keep that rule. And you might do it really bitterly and begrudgingly. You might do it with a lot of pride, but you're keeping the rule. So it's okay, said the Pharisees. They're lowering the bar. You see that today. If you've ever been to New York, you probably haven't seen this. I've been to New York once, and I certainly didn't see it. But if you look really carefully, for 18 kilometres around New York, uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a wire, a very thin wire, it's basically translucent because you can't really see it. It's called an Eruv. I probably pronounced that wrong, but it's Eruv. 18 kilometres wide. Long, sorry. What's it there for? It's there and it's paid for by the, the, the really orthodox Jewish community, the inheritors um, of the, the Pharisee kind of position. And because they have certain rules, you know, you're not allowed to carry burdens on the Sabbath outside the house. Yeah, there are all sorts of things you can't do outside on the Sabbath. What they've done is link up all the buildings, it runs right around, so then you can say the whole of you know, New York is, is within the boundaries of my property. You know, of our property. So I'm not, I, I can now go outside and carry things. Because it's not really outside because the Eruv has fenced us all in. It's actually lowering the bar, isn't it? We say, oh, how legalistic. Let's just lower the bar. Let's do what you want again. Pharisee hearts actually lower the bar. And in the same way, Sadducees, liberals, are often very judgmental, aren't they? People who, want, who say to you, look, I'm just about you know, love and everyone should do, follow their own hearts and you say, well, I, I think that's wrong, and I think people shouldn't just follow their own desires. How dare you? Suddenly, these very liberal people are very judgmental. Pharisees and Sadducees are actually the same thing uh, underneath. In other words, there, there are two ways to ruin a meal, aren't there? You can ru- ruin your Sunday lunch uh, this, um, uh, this afternoon, having roast beef or whatever. You can, you can, you can ruin it by, by missing ingredients, by putting a roast on the table, no roast potatoes, totally pointless. They ruin lunch. But you can also ruin it by adding things in. Okay. Roast beef, roast potatoes with ice cream on top. Yeah, disgusting. Well, so to tell you with the gospel, uh, with Jesus' teaching, this te- Jesus' teaching can be ruined by the Pharisees and Sadducees by, by trying to add stuff in. You must do more than just believe in Jesus. Or by taking stuff away. You needn't really believe in Jesus. He's not necessary. And this teaching is like leaven. It works its way around within the church, Jesus' warning. Remember, these are God's people, the Pharisees and Sadducees. It is sadly in the church that you're most likely to be fed stuff through your ears that is going to damage you spiritually. The church in general, within churches. Out there in the world, I mean, you know people don't follow Jesus. It's It's pretty safe, isn't it? But it's churches that don't have God's word at the centre that don't preach the gospel Jesus preached that do us most damage. And if we're not careful, if our ears are open to anything, letting anything in, we're going to be in a mess. What's the answer? Well, the answer is listening to the words of Christ, not the Pharisees or the Sadducees. 
that Christ comes with the gospel and says, yes, you are meant to be far holier than you are. Okay, the Pharisees haven't got the half of it. The bar's not here. It's, you're meant to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're meant to love your neighbour as yourself. You're meant to be generous, kind, patient, understanding. And you're none of those things. But it's okay because I have come to live for you and die for you. I've come to die that you might live. I've done everything you should have done. And so all you need to do is receive it by faith. You don't need to do anything. The Gospel says to the Pharisee, you haven't got a hope of earning your righteousness. It says to the Sadducee, you really need a righteousness. And it says to both, here it is, if you'll just take it. We're back to the first point, just open your eyes. I've done everything for you. If you want to be committed, you're starting university, starting a new job, you're just trying to keep going in the middle of COVID. How do we live committed lives? By opening our eyes to see God has given us everything. And he's given it freely. Not needing to earn, not needing anything back from you. And open our ears. In the Bible you see with your ears, really, don't you? As you hear God's word preach to you week by week, as you hear it read to you, as you hear what Jesus says, well then your eyes are opened. And that is what we pray. Lord, open our eyes. So encouraging that so many times in Scripture, Jesus heals the blind and unstops deaf ears. Because then as they open their eyes, they see him. They can hear him. And that's our great prayer for the Christ Church, that we see and hear Christ hear the good news, not corrupted by these false messages out there, and therefore can rejoice and give ourselves wholeheartedly to him. Know that, that a saviour who's done that for us can't be dangerous to follow, can't be risky to follow, isn't calling us when he calls us to wholeheartedness, as he's about to do in Matthew 16 and just some of the next verses, when he calls us to give up our lives to follow him, it's safe to do so, it's the best way to live to do so. He's not demanding flesh and blood, he's not being unreasonable, he's not trying to get some payment back, no, he's done everything for you. And now he says, come and follow and find life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that uh, our salvation, our life, rests not in ourselves but in Christ. Uh, we're sorry for how easy we find it to be distracted and to think either that holiness doesn't matter or that somehow we can earn a, uh, our favour with you ourselves. God, as we pray from this leaven, this yeast, this false teaching of the, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we pray for your church, that the truth will be preached across the city, across the country. And we pray most of all that you would open our eyes to see all that you have done for us already. And might we know that there is nothing more we need to demand of you. If you've given us your son, died and risen, reigning now in glory. Open our eyes, unstop our ears, that we might see and rejoice in the glories of Christ. We ask in his name. Amen.